turn down just a just a just a scotch, just a little tick, just a little ticky boo, as they say. <laughs> Do they say that? Somebody probably does. Okay. Uh, are we recording already? Yes. Oh, good. It's... <laughs> so many, so many, so many damn books. Hello and welcome to So Many Damn Books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And we are so glad that you're joining us. It's here. In it's the Zoom Damn Library. The spooky Zoom Damn Library. Ooh. Yeah, neither of us are dressed up or anything. I have a candle going. That's true. That um, adds to some spook. Oh, I should have brought it upstairs. There's a candle downstairs in a glass skull. You're in your new house. Yes, I am. And um, how are the measurements? Have you been measuring all of the Diligently. Floors? Yeah. There is, I mean, depending on where you stand in the room that will eventually be my office, there is a creepy door. Because if you just walk in, it looks like that's where the house should end. Like there's a window and then there's a little tiny door. It's like a, it's not even a half door. It's like a quarter door. It's, it's very spooky. So yeah, I keep the tape measure in every room just in case. <laughs> we're, um, we're making reference to the book that we're focusing this episode on, which is House of Leaves by Mark Z. Danielewski. Yes. It's sort of, we're kind of doing a backlist episode in honor of um, both of us being catastrophically wrong about our Super Rooster predictions. Oh yeah, we're, we're definitely incorrect. Um, and so we, we are choosing this. It's actually the 20th anniversary of The House of Leaves came out in the year 2000. Wild. And, you know, I really think that it has, it's one of these sea changes. I feel like that this is a book that became really popular and a lot of people were like, "Ooh, you can do that." Yeah, I want to do that. Yeah. Well, and you had never read it before, right? No, I've never read I had never read this book. And it, but it's one of these books that um I think I bought one of the first times I ever went to unnameable books. And so I've just been moving this enormous. It's the cuz it's the full color hardcover reissue. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's actually the list price on the cover is $50, which is just like, damn, that is, I mean, I know it's a big, like hefty book with a lot in it, but 50 bucks is, um, is a tall order for some people. Particularly in 2000. Yeah, that's, that's a spicy book. (laughs) Hey, speaking Um, of spice, before we get too deep into this, let's talk about the pumpkin spice that you put into this cocktail. So it's you had some business in the city, so you did get to grab a little uh, vial of this. I'm calling it the, um, the book lost, um, which is sort of like, the, I feel like it's a feeling where you're, you're so deep into a book that everything actually truly melts away. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I was sort of thinking about. And, and the House of Leaves... Had, had moments like this where it's just you're completely engrossed. Um, yeah, totally. And so I wanted a drink that tasted like that. And <laughs> so, of course, I started at bourbon. And in a nod to the season, I also had some cold-pressed uh, 
apple juice Ooh, yeah, from yeah. Hunky Dory um, down the block. And also I made my own pumpkin pie spice syrup. And it actually has a third of a cup of pumpkin in it. Um, and, you know, a lot of cloves and nice spices. We'll have the full uh, recipe linked on our website, somebodydamnbooks.com in our episode notes. And so it's just a little bit of bourbon and those two things just stirred and poured over ice. And I don't know, I completely love it. It's great. It's like this tang always, from the apple. Yeah, you always want a good apple cider cocktail. And I feel like they're often, there's always like one good apple cider cocktail, but it's just kind of like a Manhattan with apple cider in it or something. Whereas this feels genuinely like a, a different taste sensation. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm not sure how much, I mean, it tastes like a pumpkin spice flavor too, but it's not mm -hmm. overpowering. Mm -hmm. um, I really, I, I recommend making this syrup. It's also fantastic for making at-home lattes. Um, Ooh, nice. Yeah. So it's, uh, so that's the, that's the book lost. Yum. That's a yeah. good one. I'm glad I'm really I uh, had a chance I, to get it from you. I recommend a um, cinnamon stick swizzle <laughs> because with the pumpkin, it, it is a sort of a, it does separate. So you need something to keep stirring your drink so yeah. that it, you get all of the goodness in every sip. Um, all of the goodness in every sip. Uh-huh. What? Wasn't that a, it sounds like a, oh no, that's good to the last drop. <laughs> Yeah, it's different. Best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. Remember when Rockapella did that? Yeah. All right. Well, this has been the late 90s, <laughs> early 2000s segment of the show. Well, and, and now we move into the book from the 2000s. Yes. Uh, but not quite, because it's actually what you buy. Oh, yeah. What did you buy, Drew? I, so I love a good subscription service. Me too. But I have not signed up for one in a while because frankly, um, this show functions as a kind of subscription service in that we get lots of books. We do get uh, lots and lots of books. And so it's hard, it's, you know, it's hard. We're getting things early. Um, we're able to ask for things. It's hard to like sign up for a thing where you know you're going to get a book that's come out like six weeks ago in the mail and it's like okay but what if i got it six months before it came out kind of thing um, yeah, everybody feels so bad for us right now i know it's real <laughs> it's tough <laughs> yeah. uh wonderfully there's a subscription service called nightworms that i've Ugh. followed them on yeah i followed them on instagram for a while and have been eager to someday get a box because I want to, you know, actually get one and see what it's like. And their October box, I actually, it like went up for sale uh, in September, like right when I was moving. And so I totally missed it because I would have, I would have jumped for it anyway. And they announced that there were a couple of boxes that they had left over and they put them up on sale like oh. two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So I was very stoked. It comes in like a cool black uh, padded mailer with a spooky skull wormy logo on it. The 
it had two books, both of them with signed book plates. Um, the new Jeremy Robert Johnson novel, The Loop, which oh. has like a, um, it's like Stranger Things meets Twin Peaks or something is the blurb that I heard. And I was like, I love both of those things. Okay. Uh, and then a reissue of a horror novel that I have been dying to read for years. And it's been out of print for a long time. Um, by Kathy Koja, The Cipher. Uh, and all I know about that is that similarly to House of Leaves in a way, there's like some sort of weird black pit that opens up in somebody's apartment or something. I don't know. It sounds absolutely horrifying. Everybody I know who's read it has said that it's one of the scariest books they've ever read. Um, but so it's those. They came with signed book plates, some cool stickers, some cool bookmarks, and a little single serving thing of coffee from Pioneer Joe Coffee that it's like a single serving pour over thing. I don't know oh, if you've ever cool. seen Oh, cool. Yeah, one. yeah. I've seen those. They Where you like of... open it and it dips over this. Very cool. I, I love, love a neat little piece of technology like that. Mm -hmm. So that's what I got. I'm excited about both of those books. I might try to get to them before the end of the month, but running out of time, you know. Yeah, yeah. Always running out of time. How about you? What'd you buy? Well, um, I've had this book on my to-buy list for so long. Um, back in college, there was this website um, add-on. It was one of the very first like browser add-ons that I was ever aware of, and it was called Stumble Upon. And you would click sure. it, and like people submitted and tagged like really cool websites, and you know you would find really strange GeoCities things, and I don't know all sorts of strange. Um, corners of the internet that you might not have been aware of. And one of the pages that I came across was this person's archive and attempted translation of this book called The Codex Seraphinianus. Um, it was originally published in 1981 um, by an artist named Luigi Serafini. And it is written in what appears to be a writing system, but as you go through it, you realize the whole thing is an encyclopedia of a place that's never existed. Whoa. And so the, the website had this, you know, had some very bad um, scans that loaded very slowly because it was 2006. Mm -hmm. um, and ever since, it's something that's captured my imagination and, and, uh, you know, I've seen copies for sale and various things at, for like $650 or like $2,000 because it was signed by him and in like a special two-volume version or something. Wow. Um, but Rizzoli has recently reissued it and it's much more affordable. Ooh. And um, I celebrated a recent uh, success of mine by buying it because I've been meaning to buy it forever. Cool. And... Oh, I'm so excited to finally own this book. It's incredible just to flip through. I just like put it down, like cleaned the table and put it down <laughs> on the table and flipped through the first five pages. And I immediately got that feeling, that same feeling in my chest that I got during like those that late night stumble upon uh, button pressing where I suddenly stumbled upon something incredible and wanted to go down the rabbit hole with it. That's awesome. So that's very exciting. I just bought that. Um, 
I also got uh, in the mail uh, XX by Ryan Hughes. And so he's a graphic designer. And this is a very like the form text it, mm-hmm. um, influences the story about, I guess, interstellar first contact. You know, oh, uh, just neat. a first contact story. I'm very, very excited about it. Um, it's enormous. And I also got, um, I think from Catapult, uh, Fake Accounts by Lauren Euler. Oh, yeah. Really one of my most about. anticipated for 2021. Yeah, it comes out in February 2021. And it's about um, this woman who discovers that her boyfriend is an anonymous internet conspiracy theorist and a very, very popular one. <laughs> um, and so I'm real. I don't know anything else other than that. I like there's more even to the description. I haven't read it because I'm just like, yeah, I'm in. I'm sold. I want to know more about fake accounts. Yeah. Because I can time. already like that just sends my mind because like, what would you do? You find out that, <laughs> you know, that it's such a good that your premise. partner is Q. <laughs> oh, God. Ooh. Ooh. <sighs> Ooh, side note, Ooh. there's a really great episode of Reply All, the Gimlet show, that uh, talks to the guy who founded 4chan and mm-hmm. 8chan about, and they're like, pretty sure they know who, who Q is. And it's a very compelling breakdown of like, yeah, it's just this fucking guy. I mean, because obviously, of course it is, but. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hate everything about that. Yeah. I but. even, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. I don't want to read your Q novel, folks. No. Somebody's, p- people are going to do it. I don't, it's, it's like, maybe not, you know? Yeah, I just think the truth is stranger than fiction here. Yeah. And I mean, maybe this novel is sort of like Q adjacent. It seems like it might be. Um, but I do like the idea instead of following the, Q person, you're following the wife of a Q person or the yeah. girlfriend of a Q person who's just like, the heck are you doing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, God, I don't want the like, you know, the like Dan Brown novel. That's basically <laughs> what, oh my God, I just realized that's what the Q drops are. It's like following a Dan Brown novel. Woof. Why do you think people like it so much? Yeah. Every chapter is two pages long and ends in a cliffhanger. One thing that I do love are the um, things that are coming out now, like I was a QAnon cult believer and now I'm not. Like those, all of those tales about how they got sucked in and came back out. They're all hitting like right now too. In a, I mean, obviously timed on purpose, but when you think about that versus this book, you see what this book is sort of playing with. Oh yeah. The obsession of text. Yeah, I mean, not only the obsession of text, but sort of the, um... all right, well, okay. For anybody out there who has not heard of House of Leaves, and I, there may be some of you, I would be yeah. surprised. This is one of those books that sort of has a mythos around it. Mm-hmm. Even if you've never read it or seen it, there's like, it's one of those books where the name and the idea has permutated popular culture to the point that that movie, the adaptation of the Daniel... Kelman book, You Should Have Left, um, the film adaptation starring Kevin Bacon that is apparently has nothing to do with the novel it's based on, really. Um, mm-hmm. I saw the trailer for it, and there's a moment where they like, hey, look, the house is bigger on the inside than it is on the, and they have like a tape measure 
And I was like, I've, yep. 20 years later, here we are. It's just like shorthand in popular culture for something's wrong, you know? Yeah, that's sort of the, and, and that's, that's the log line for the book. Yeah. Is the House of Leaves is a house that is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. And you're following basically two threads, although yes. there's more threads if you'd like to. Yeah. Um, but the two threads that you're following are the text of the not the the Navidson record. Right, which is like a long form journalistic piece of nonfiction. Academic yeah. piece of nonfiction. About a um about a documentary that was filmed by a Pulitzer Prize winning photographer about this house that he moved into with his family that is bigger on the inside, but not in a fun TARDIS way. And then you're also following the guy who finds the like raw document and in putting the document together and finding the clues, he sort of is loses whatever grip on sanity that he had before he found it. And he's sort of already a, druggy stoner dropout type of guy so you kind of feel like took a feather to push this guy <laughs> over the edge he was already at the end of his rope in a lot of ways right um and so those are the two warring at sometimes um narratives mm -hmm. and it's told through all sorts of textual and metatextual experiments yeah i mean it's really not only is it one of those books that you uh, there are different editions even that have, some of them are only in black and white. If you have the full color edition, it's like certain words are printed. Uh, the word house is printed in blue. Anything mm -hmm. relating to Minotaur is struck through with red. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, you have to turn the book around. There's stuff that's mirrored. There are things that are inset inside of other things. It's- So I was showing um, my wife a, a page from the book and saying like, this is what I'm reading right now. And she's like, yeah, it looks like a, the Talmud. And I had never actually <laughs> looked at what, what the Talmud is like, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it totally does, it, it, I mean, the way that you read like their arguments is sort of this snail um, shape. Yeah. Age. And so um, when I finished reading the book, I'm like, really this book is, if someone got really interested in the Talmud, and poltergeist. <laughs> uh huh. Then it has a very this book. Spielberg y thing to it. Well, and I mean, there's he even, there's a lot of meta text in this book. Um, and one of the things that he talks about is a uh, influence of the filmmaker in the book is poltergeist. Mm -hmm. And, um, when you watch Poltergeist, which I did for the first time last night, um, you really get a sense of, oh, wow, this is straight up the like bare bones of the plot of this book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there's a haunted space in a house. You don't want to go in there. You don't know how you'll get out. You'll hear the voices as you go around the house. There's a whole part of that. And I want to say also, we've been sort of alighting spoilers, I think, but I don't, 
think we can really. Yeah, I mean, it's also, I feel like the 20-year statute of limitations. If you are planning to read House of Leaves soon and you never have, you can come back to this episode later. But, you know, I don't think. I don't think, yeah. I don't think us talking about it either also takes away from a lot of the discovery of the book. If anything, I think talking about the book and knowing a little bit of what you're getting into is helpful. Like this book, mm-hmm. when I first read it, um, I don't remember exactly when it was. It was, I would say, at least 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, like definitely early college. And it it came recommended to me by a couple of people who gave me a little bit of context right. in a in a like... I mean, it's the way that the book is even talked about. Like the jacket blurb is like when it was first passed around as a sheaf of papers <laughs> between like rocky rock stars and drug addicts or whatever. And you're like, what the fuck are they talking about? Like, how much of this is legend? How much is truth? I got a little bit of like the urban legendiness of it mm-hmm. from like being in a underage in a bar in Boston and somebody being like, dude. You know a book if you like Halloween and spooky ship, you know a book you need to read. <laughs> House of Leaves. And I'm like, what is this House of Leaves? And they're like, look, I can't tell you too much about it, man. You just have to experience it. Yeah. And that like whole that whole thing, you know? Yeah, I, I similarly had a had a friend in in college who had read it and was just um we were in his dorm room and he pulled it out to be like, oh, you you dig this. And he showed me a couple of the crazier pages because there's, you know, um, Daniel Levski really plays with space and white space and mm-hmm. color, of course, and margins and everything a lot. Um, I mean, it's his whole, and it's, it's refreshing in some ways to see the way that he has continued to do that. Everything he's ever published is meticulously designed. Mm-hmm. I think that I've talked to you about this theory before, this this pet theory of mine that a lot of books are actually the story of the writing of that book. Uh-huh. And like the conflict is actually the conflict between the writer telling the story and or what what they were grappling with. Um House of Leaves feels like that writ large. Like there's so much about this that to me feels like he had this crazy document and he was going to tell this story. And he was like, how can I get the old man who originally wrote this, the Navidson record? uh, Zampano. Yeah. Yeah. How can I get him on the page and Johnny Truen on the page? How can I go between them? Is there, you know, and then looked back at his insane, like, you know, Pepe Sylvia moment <laughs> and was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh-huh. Maybe I don't have to actually gel this all together. Maybe the negative space of the story will be filled in by the reader. Yeah. And so it puts you in this game mindset. Right? Yeah, there is something... There is a a feeling of a puzzle and wanting to figure it out and how like what what is the what is the way to read the book? Do you read each section independently? Do you read each footnote and then jump back? Are you jumping ahead to the appendices that are sometimes referenced, or are you waiting until the end to look at the appendices? What does it mean that some of the things that are listed in the appendices are not in fact present? Mm-hmm. There's like 
it, it does become a um even you are engaged no matter what you know yeah well it's it's really interesting too because um i was joking about this at our um patreon hang uh, uh -huh. the other day that like i didn't know how far i'd actually read in this book because <laughs> i um I, I was reading this and reading each footnote uh-huh and then if a footnote said like see a future chapter i read that future chapter and then came back cool so oh I, so you really like you did the you did the linear the linear progression as close as i could yes i think cool. I, mean, I read everything as it was reference that's what i did the first time i read it too and it was exciting and also really difficult because there's points where you know deliberately the footnote isn't contained on that page it's on the next page or there is there you're missing a um a heading you're missing the footnote mm -hmm. uh notation yeah so you're looking and you're like wait did i miss one where is that up there and then luckily there's some scholarship that remains online where if you search like house of leaves um footnote page whatever there's some reddit thread that's like i couldn't find it and it's like you're not supposed to and you know but yeah it's sad kind of coming to this 20 years on because it's pretty clear to me that on daniel Levski's website he used to have like a pretty robust mm -hmm. guide but all of those references are now dead. Like some of the th yep. forum remains, but if you click anybody's like, oh, I figured this out, check this thread out. All of those links don't work. Yeah, it's a very sad um, like 21st century problem of the internet has upgraded. And unfortunately all of these like internet 1.0, well, internet 2.0 things that, you know, were so fun to be a part of the, house of leaves stuff the like nine inch nails year zero alternate reality game like all of those links are dead now because somebody mm. stopped paying the hosting fees sucks yeah. <laughs> or it looks in this case that he moved his forum mm -hmm. so it just killed those links yeah which is it's just a it's just a big bummer um i i love this type of book i i they capture my imagination every single time the word for it is ergodic literature e-r-g-o-d-i-c which is work that takes a, a non-standard effort to read basically um <laughs> and so like i always like to say that it's the hieroglyphs are a perfect example because you actually have to walk along the wall to read the book or right. read the story um but there's other versions of this too like um one of one of my absolute favorite series ever is nick Panta nick bantock's griffin and sabine oh yeah trilogy and each of those it's also a story about a descent into madness mm -hmm. um but they're actually letters and you actually have to take the letter out and read the whole story and some of the things are struck out and it's um very exciting in that way I, I don't know why that always gets me but i think that it's just sort of like finding the living document particularly when part it's of it done, when it's done well yeah. you know there are i mean th like no disrespect to the immense imagination and talent that mark danielewski uh has but his the familiar books that he started, which I recommended on the show ages ago after reading the first one and being like, holy shit, this is wild. He's doing a whole thing. 
I think, I mean, I started reading the second one, which came out maybe six months after the first one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe if you read less than I do and you're able to retain, I just was completely lost. I frankly was lost at the end of the first one because he had like nine different threads. Mm -hmm. They were all written in different formats. And he was like, yeah, this, my idea is that it's like a 27 episode TV series and I'm going to do like seasons. Uh And he was like, I'm going to do three seasons of nine books or something. And then Pantheon was like, yeah, buddy, these aren't, these aren't selling. The barrier to entry is a little high. Mm -hmm. Um, But it, it's also just like not as successful. And then there are these books like, I remember when you recommended to me the Griffin and Sabine books, but Mm -hmm. also um, one of my favorite like cult texts of all time is Stephen Hall's The Raw Shark Texts. Mm -hmm. Um, He actually has a new book coming out in the UK in February called Maxwell's Demon. Who knows when it's going to get a US publication. But The Raw Shark Texts takes some of the like spiritual energy of House of Leaves but reduces the the ergodic thing to like a sh- like it's like jaws but in a book like mm. you'll turn a page and then there's a fucking shark made out of text on the page it's terrifying <laughs> um and like when it when it's done well it is it's the the closest that like a book the ugh, this i i don't want to say something that i'm going to regret but it's kind of the closest that a book gets to doing like what a 3D movie can do. Hmm. Okay. It's tough. It's tough to compare those things because, and they shouldn't be compared because they're trying to do very different things. It's like it's the two, the maybe it's the farthest poles kind of thing. Like those two things really are the farthest that you can go with the form, mm-hmm. I guess. Like the the purest sense of like what this medium can do Um, yeah yeah i i i was thinking all the time of because it was compared so deeply to house of leaves when it came out but doug dorist and jj abrams s oh absolutely um which is has so much in common where it's you know dueling narratives of the actual narrative versus the people that are studying it mm-hmm. and having conversations with each other in the margins. Um, it's very exciting in that way. And S worked for me for a really long time. I, I really, I really fell for it, but it also, if it doesn't work, boy, are you unsatisfied with, yes. uh, with the whole thing? Because it's just, it's one of these things where it, because it takes this, you know, non-standard reading effort takes more than just already and it's already the barrier of entry to reading anything right now (laughs) is high you know like i i feel like i get i've got gotten sort of pavlovian about like a new york times notification Uh i'm just like cringing already because i'm just like what horrible thing has befallen us now yeah so reading something like s or house of leaves or any of this stuff it's like can you just tell me a story can you like i don't i don't want so i can see how if you're in the wrong mood or this doesn't interest you at all it will never it won't pull you in because it keeps you at an arm's length to the point of i don't know there's all these people 
in House of Leaves forums and in the Goodreads reviews of the book <laughs> that are saying like, this is the scariest book I've ever read. And I wish I had that connection to it because to me, it, it always kept me at an arm's length and never quite, I was never quite scared of the closet space as I think I was supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, were, it's were you scared of it? No, I've, it, this book has affected my subconscious in ways. Mm -hmm. Like I remember the first time I read it and then just rereading it now, both times it gave me, uh, for lack of a better term, weird house dreams. Okay. Like I had a dream, actually you were in it, um, that I was at my parents' house and the basement had turned into this like sort of weird uh, blank gray space. And then it turned, oh, it was sort of like a House of Leaves meets Kitchens of the Great Midwest. Oh. Hear me out. <laughs> it, it's like this pop-up restaurant Shit, maybe I shouldn't say this because this is actually like a good story to write, but it's yeah. this pop-up restaurant that like phases into existence in a weird random place. Okay. And you get like a couple of hours of notice, essentially. So I was there and I was like, oh shit, the restaurant is here. <laughs> the restaurant. I and then like, you need to call it that. Yeah, like three couples showed up. And I called you and I was like, you got to get over here real fast. And like you came running and I was like, so far, man, there's only three two tops. And that's when I woke up. So this is this is a recent inspiration. This is like like okay, four what nights about ago. The first time that you read it, did you were you scared of it then? I think I was I was reading it in the house that I grew up in, which is a rambling 1876 Victorian and has some spooky aspects to it. Um, but I think because, because I was already used to weird architecture and mm -hmm. like the, the possibilities of a house, I feel like I wanted to be scared and wasn't, mm. I had dreams about like long hallways. And I do think that the image of, I think that there's honestly nothing scarier then the first, the first image of the house, the five and a half minute hallway. Mm -hmm. This idea that, okay, suddenly, like they send the camera outside and then it comes back in and you see that there's like this weird discrepancy, this door. And going down that hallway and coming back, that to me is the thing that's the scariest and the fact that it never gets scarier than that even though they go in and like people go mad and it's all sorts of weird spooky stuff that was the thing that captured me mm -hmm. like the small the grit of sand not the pearl if that makes sense yeah i mean i think that that's that is the pearl though sure it's those moments um, yes. I was I was thinking about because I've just read it so recently, um, Piranesi by Susanna Clark, which I think is I'm also... going to read that next, honestly, for that for exactly this, um, because it's about an endless space that doesn't exist through any physics that we understand, and someone's trying to document it and understand it. But you know, for House of Leaves, it's endless darkness, and for Piranesi, it's insane sculpture right um and so like i was almost sad that the 
house didn't have more than infinite density. Yeah, it was weird coming back to the book, my recollections of the house in particular, because also I I felt this way the first time I read it, but I was more forgiving of it. Mm -hmm. The Navidson record is the thing that keeps me coming back to this book. Like, I, I don't think that Johnny Truant, the guy who finds the manuscript and is like editing it together, I don't think that his narrative has aged terribly well. No, it's aged very poorly, in fact. Yeah. Um, but like the story of the house, like the documentary is the thing, the kernel of this story that keeps me coming back to it. But I remembered things that were not in the book. Like I, I thought that there were statuaries and a couple of other weird things that now I'm realizing have come out of other books that have been published in the last 20 years that I kind of wonder if they were in some way indebted to House of Leaves. Well, it does feel like a key text. It really does. The whole time that you're reading it, you're like, oh, I see where a lot of people got this thing. Or I also, you know, just like the Poltergeist thing, I see where he got some things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's exciting to to see where where it comes from and, and also sort of the the landscape that it was part of, you know, because it feels like, it does feel sort of, like infinite jest actually um in a lot of ways but if it was even more because infinite jest is also about a film that exists it's about people trying to get the film and watch it um it's also full of textual experiments and mm -hmm. footnotes but it's like what if i broke that even further yeah um, oh this feels like the immediate descendant of infinite jest in a way there's a moment also, and I'm curious how you how this read to you, where uh, Navidson is in the house, he's in the space, and he starts to pull out the book, The House of Leaves. Uh-huh. And I didn't know, I didn't know what to feel. Um, I didn't yeah, know that, how like, I was supposed to take that. <laughs> well, because it's also, it's not this book is the weird thing. That it, like, it's some other novel it's a and like the way that it's described at least to me i perceived it as a more traditional text that although it says it's 736 pages long which is which the is, length of the yeah. yeah i don't know there's like I, it, it makes sense to me that a um on the on the far end of my academic career, I look back and I'm like, oh, right, this is like, a, it's an academic text and it's teasing or even making fun of academic texts. And it's very funny in that way. I mean, there's so many points where he's actually, where he's making fun of Academy and he's making fun of the way that we talk about things. Yeah. And um, there's this like, the idea that there's just so many essays written about this film is so mm -hmm. is just funny oh my god in like every possible publication here's yeah. the one in gq here's the one in the new yorker here's another one in the new yorker here's the one in the wall street journal here's the one in mademoiselle it's like okay <laughs> here's the random house publication of essays that were inspired but you know <laughs> um but it's like so there's that there's the ways in which he's created this whole thing mm-hmm this alternate universe, I guess. Yeah, it's definitely an alternate universe and it's an exciting one. You know, like Stephen King exists in that universe and he's right. 
and he's actually part of the text. You know, yeah. it's a... But then there's also like, there are these moments where he, uh, and I, I wonder why he does it. Cause it's not just when Davidson pulls out this book that he's been, this 736 page book that he's been carrying called house of leaves. There are other moments where it feels like, I don't know. It's like the narrator turning and looking to the camera. There's like a, a real moment of Danny Levski being like still with like, it's, I don't know. It's like, it's a twilight zone thing. It's like Rod Sterling walking out and being like, can you believe that shit? And you're like, wow, <laughs> what? Yeah. I didn't, didn't know this was a Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I love that. I've been watching some old Twilight Zone recently, and um, I love when Rod Serling is suddenly there. Yeah. Like he, they just turn and he's like, "Oh, he's been at the desk this whole time." <laughs> Would you ever read another? Danielewski book knowing that it requires this much because I don't I don't think it's a slouch against him to say no so I think there's five volumes of the familiar that came out yeah before um, it got canceled and it's very very they're very thick they're very involved and I love flipping through them but the price of admission is so high um, I remember trying to read only revolutions which is the immediate follow-up mm-hmm and it's much shorter, it's, but it's even more like you have to read half of it in a mirror. Um, so I don't know, I, I, would, I watch what he does because I love his commitment to his vision. Um, and I will continue loving what he does in that respect, um, but that doesn't mean that I'm gonna actually sit down and read any of his books, but I will never stop reading stuff that plays with footnotes and i don't know i guess it's some it's actually a um, extension of like that 19th century novel thing of like you have to explain why you're reading the book uh-huh you know like how did i find robinson crusoe's you know diary <laughs> it's very important or like the turning of the screw has that very big like frame story about oh, why yeah. you're reading the turning of the screw so yeah i think that I love that stuff and I will never stop. So those, those will keep me, keep me going. I mean, I have XX, I have uh, raw shark tech uh, on my shelf and I've got others because this is just like a form that always interests me. What about you? Or are you, are you ready to keep reading these types of books? I haven't read only revolutions. Um, I did read the 50 year sword uh, which is more of like a novella slash poem mm -hmm. that that really worked for me because it is meant to be oral. It's essentially like the, um, the ergodic thing about it. Like other than things being paged, we are set very strangely on the page is that the quotation marks are in different colored yarn. And that tells you like who is speaking at what point. Hmm. And Are there's they actually a, sewn. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's like it was sewn and then photographed, kind of thing. It's not actually in the, um, or at least not in the mass-produced Pantheon version. Mm. But that, to me, it feels like I I would, and I think it has been done before. I would love to see that as like a midnight reading at Halloween with five actors reading uh, each of those voice lines. 
kind of thing. But yeah, I, I also, I love this stuff and I keep, I keep kind of chasing that high of the first time you go into a book like this or like S or the raw shark texts where it, there is really a like, oh, I'm seeing something completely new. Right. Well, and it's, it's tickling a part of my brain that isn't necessarily just like reading a story. Mm-hmm. There's that extra effort puts you deeper. I mean, puts you lost in the book even deeper. The House of Leaves is like the story of him writing the book because there's the whole like staircase being deeper. Mm-hmm. Like you never know how far how far down you're going to have to go to continue your story. Yeah. On the first season of Thresholds, when Jordan Kisner was talking to Carmen Maria Machado mm-hmm. about in the dream house, Carmen was essentially like, yeah, the book nearly killed me. Like the, the, my threshold is the literal writing of the book. And it made me think about exactly the thing you're talking about of when you can see it, whether you realize it while you're reading it or somebody tells you afterwards and you kind of are like, oh my God, that like when it is tangible, when the map is the territory a little bit, it's a very cool experience. You can elide the Johnny Truant stuff if it's not <laughs> if it's not um, singing to you. You can read the book however you want. How rare is that? Like it's a full fulfilling experience just to read the Navison record or just to read the Johnny Truant stuff. Like you could do either. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah, and I mean, there's a whole collection of poetry to read at the end that like has very oh little. God, oh my god, I forgot about that. I did. <laughs> I did not reread the poem. <laughs> oh golly let's recommend other stuff we read some pretty cool books we recommend you take a look yeah oh you go well friends it's the spooky season uh it's october it's been the spooky season basically all year i think we all know that but I have still managed to read only spooky books this October or spook-jacent books. Um, And I have two for you. One is one of the best horror novels I have read in a long time and not just because it is set in literally my backyard. Uh, It's a novel called The Fisherman by John Langan. It um, sort of like we were talking about earlier that 19th century framing of the story within the story. Mm-hmm. He does that and then also manages to make the frame story also terrifying. It's not just like, we were sitting around the fire and I told a spooky story and now here's my spooky story. It's like these two guys, um, both of whom have lost loved ones um, and are sort of grappling with that grief. They both work at the IBM plant in Poughkeepsie together. They start fishing together and kind of, you know, there's some um, not toxic masculinity, but like the trappings of it in the ways in which men can't talk to one another about their feelings. But they're sort of like using each other as a little bit of a life preserver during a rough time. They're trying to find this one stream. They go into this bar one morning or like a roadhouse kind of thing that also serves breakfast. I guess 
I guess you call it a diner. Okay. The guy at the diner, like the owner of the diner is like, I'm going to tell you why you should turn around and go home. And then it's the middle half of the book. So it's like a quarter of the book, half of the book, final quarter of the book. That middle half of the book is this story about um, some cosmic horror shit that happens during the building of the Ashokan Reservoir. Mm. And you get to the end of it and you're like, wow, whoa, that was scary. Okay. And then these guys leave and they're like, all right, so we're going to that river, huh? And you're like, <laughs> oh no! Um, okay. It's really, it's really, really, really terrific. I've never quite read anything like it. I loved it. Um, and if you read it, reach out to me and I'll go take some pictures of some of the local sites so that you can really see what it's like to get off of Route uh, 28 and go to the Ashokan Reservoir. Um, Give Drew homework. Yes. Um, the other book is a new one. Uh, just came out a couple of weeks ago. The Once and Future Witches by Alex E. Harrow. We've both talked about it a couple of times, I think during What'd You Buy segments. We both really loved The 10,000 Doors of January. This is everything that I always want a second novel to be. It's like, it's more ambitious. It's a little bit messier. It's angrier. It's like, it's just all of the passion and like, let's swing for the fences. It's like that empire strikes back. Like, let's get everything bigger and go for it. It's um, set during the beginnings of the suffrage movement in this country, like, or the, the windup of the suffrage movement in like the late 1890s. Um, and this idea that witchcraft has not been present in the country. And these three young women, these sisters, um, set about essentially to like, yeah, we don't just want the vote. We want witchcraft so we can fuck you assholes up. Mm. It's great. It is a very good book to read this week in particular. As we head up to the election, it will keep the fire's burning, if you know what I mean. Nice. How about you? Uh, so I've just been reading for House of Leaves since the last time <laughs> that we talked. Um, other than that, though, I've been watching horror movies for like the first time in oh, my yeah. life. Uh, I mean, I've seen, I've seen some of the horror movies. You know, I've, I saw The Shining and it really affected me. It changed a lot of the ways that I think about horror and why I go to the movies. Um, and I've seen some other ones too here and there, but I've missed a lot of them because I've always taken the tact that I don't, I'm scared a lot anyway. I don't need to do that in the movies. <laughs> um, I'm a stressed person anyway. I don't need to get extra stressed by a movie. Um, <laughs> but I guess I've been wanting to just feel something, uh -huh. anything at all. Sure. I, I, and so I was like, okay, I need to, I need to start at the right place. And I put this Twitter poll up, um, Rosemary's baby versus psycho. What should I watch? What should we watch tonight? And when it was over, I had like 15 votes and 15 votes. It was exactly 50%. I was <laughs> like, well, thank you very much. Internet. It was not helpful at all. And then our good friend, Benjamin Dreyer uh -huh. shows up in the comments and he's just like, watch Rosemary's baby. It's yeah. a better movie. And he's correct. <laughs> yes, the movie he is was correct. amazing. And sort of like the, 
the joke of the Navidson record having like the, all of this scholarship involved with it. Oh my God, is there just like an incredible amount of ink spilled about Rosemary's Baby? Um, there's just so much stuff around it you can read. And um, mm-hmm. someone, is, someone did a beautiful website of all a great collection of the um, making of stills and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Rosemary's Baby, it just... It's not scary, not really, but it just stayed in my head to the point where I actually like had a dream where I, my wife and I went to like a class on how to resist the devil. <laughs> and then I watched Psycho because, you know, and it's, and it's good, but it's not as good as Rosemary's Baby was like, it was like sumptuous. It was like a tapestry. Yeah. And Psycho is, it feels like it was just like really, really, um, you know, revolutionary at the time. And we have since like taken a lot of things from that. Mm-hmm. Big time. And then the, uh, the other one that the, the trilogy, uh, I, it was Carrie, the original. Oh, you finally Carrie. watched it. Okay. And it was just fantastic. It was I told so, you, right, so the, good. Do you know the moment I was talking about that one jump scare? Yeah. The true jump scare that every fucking time I jump out of my seat. Yeah. Terrifying. <sighs> That it's the only scary part of the movie. It's the only scary part of the movie. It's like Brian De Palma at the end, like turned in the final cut, and everybody's like, "Uh, it's supposed to be a horror movie." And he was like, "Oh, okay, hang on." Like, <laughs> yeah, I've, oh, I got one idea. Yeah, all of these movies not scary, um, but thought provoking. Good Halloween movies. Yeah, so I recommend very, very, very highly. Ten out of ten. Watch Rosemary's Baby. Uh, also, like nine out of ten, Carrie and Psycho is really good, but turn it off before the really annoying psychiatrist person is like standing up, like walking up and down, and he's like, "You know what happened here?" <laughs> Are you gonna watch any more spooky movies? Yeah, I think so. I think I've like, like broken the seal now, and I want to watch some like bad recent ones that aren't necessarily. Have you ever but... seen? Did you see Signs? Yeah. Okay. That's one of my favorite scary movies of all time. That movie still scares the daylights out of me. And I turn it off when they come up out of the basement. <laughs> That's perfect ending. So that's the episode, I guess. That's the episode. Um, if you're listening to it the week that it's come out, which from our stats, it seems like most of you are, don't forget to vote. Yeah, please vote. Vote, 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 vote. Our call to action this week. Yes. Vote. Just go vote. Um, and, well, usually when I say this at the end of October, it's just meant in sort of the fun, spooky way, but see you on the other side. Ooh. Ah! <laughs>